everybody. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about heist movies, because it is heist month, featuring Bryn. And Jeremy. And we don't take ourselves too seriously. And Although, the- when you're in a heist <laughs> scenario, uh, it does kind of behoove you to take yourself a little bit seriously, or at least well, take the project seriously. That's true. Luckily, we are not in a heist scenario, as far that's as I'm true. aware. Uh, as this movie will show us, who knows who's involved in the heist scenario and who isn't. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, the week two of heist month, as you heard from the music. Um, the Dark Council has formed once again and gave us heist month. Uh, if you'd like to know more about what the Dark Council is, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and find out. Um or you can even maybe become or join the the Dark Council. Maybe if you're lucky. If you're lucky, and they let you. Um, but yeah, it has been a fun month. Last week we watched Le Cercle Rouge, and now we're watching an Some even fucking trash, an even weirder <laughs> heist movie. <laughs> it's very funny the whiplash of going from this like very uh you know significant you know classic artsy beautiful french French film (laughs) to possibly one of the stupidest things i've ever seen in my life (laughs) well we can't comment on if it was good or not yet i didn't Uh, comment on whether it was good or not i just said it was really stupid that's true it is stupid (laughs) uh but uh before we get into that uh let's go ahead and talk about what we watched this week Except, but aside from Now You See Me from 2013. So, Jeremy, what did you watch this week? Thank you for asking, Bryn. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to give... Uh, well, I'd like to talk about two things. First, I'd like to give an update on my, my current watch Yellowstone of the Neo-Western update. drama television <laughs> series, Yellowstone. <laughs> Another Yellowstone update. Another Yellowstone update. I just started season three, and... Uh, it would appear to me that sometime around the end of season two, they started to realize who their primary audience is, who the people are who are actually watching the show. And I had mentioned way back when I started watching the show that I felt as though it was strange that conservatives were so wild for it because it didn't seem particularly conservative yeah, to no, me. I asked you that. I said, like, is it a, a very fascist feeling show? Is there sort of like the the man on the frontier killing people, yeah. you know, like, and you're like, no, right? Like, so, you, so early on, I would have said that now I will say it has taken a very funny turn uh, <laughs> in season three. And it is like, so overtly like just pandering to boomer conservatives that it's just like, it's a whole different ball game now. Really? Um, there's like, um, like really like scripty look at camera deliver message of show sort of shit that keeps happening where like uh there's one line of dialogue where somebody's like I wonder what would happen if uh like if we all died out how would they how would they eat you know those normal people and then somebody else is like they wouldn't they'd just starve <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like um the the really egregious one is they that mean non-farmers one- like how would the non ranchers? Yeah, they'd never. The cities would never be able to survive without us ranchers, um, <laughs> despite the fact that like nobody is like I have to imagine everybody's getting factory farmed beef for the most part. Yeah, I think uh, so. 
But um, and then the 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 really egregious one. So there's a character Casey who's married to a Native American woman, and in the beginning of the show he lives on the reservation with her, and then he moves back to the family ranch, and uh, he has a really fraught relationship with his father. And, uh, you know, his Native American wife has an even more fraught relationship with the father because, you know, that was her people's land before. Sure. Uh, and it's one <laughs> of the central conflicts of the first season is the natives versus John and trying to like take, you know, trying to figure out a way to take all this land back for themselves. And then at the beginning of this third season, she like has this monologue where she's like, you know, Casey always told me about how much of a struggle this was, this place was for you and like trying to hold on to it and trying to keep people from taking it from you. And then she's like, and you know, I see now that that's true. You know, that is really (laughs) what's happening. And then she says like, she says something about like, you know, when this was my people's land, people were always trying to take it from us too. And it seems like nothing's really changed. Just you're the Indian now. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. We have this Native American woman who teaches a Native American studies course at a university <laughs> telling John, uh, what's J- Dutton, John Dutton, this white landowner, corrupt murderer. <laughs> You're the Indian now. <laughs> You're the Native American now, John. Yeah. You're so, the one who deserves the land. Yeah, so that's where the show's at right now. Wow. That's by season three. It gets that fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that's shocking. Yeah. Well, speaking of shocking and crazy shit, uh, the other thing I watched this week I was feeling a little bit of Sopranos withdrawal, um, and I can't watch too far ahead or else I'm going to lose track uh, of it during episodes. So I wanted to watch another Mafia thing, and I realized there's actually not a ton of Mafia stuff. It always feels like there's so much, and then when you go to look for it, you're like, well, I've seen like the five Mafia movies that are any good, and then there's like a bunch of dog shit. (laughs) Well, you say there isn't that much. But what you mean well, is, the is like, even the, there's not much a lot of, good movie. <laughs> no, but this is the thing is even the bad stuff, there's only really like a dozen more. <laughs> there's really not a ton. Really? Um, and so what I watched this week was the um, 2018 American biographical crime film, Gotti. <laughs> Sorry, John Travolta, John Travolta. As, as John Gotti. That's really wild that you would choose that one. There's got to yeah. be other ones you haven't seen that are... <laughs> with, music, with music by Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide himself. <laughs> Have you seen American Gangster? Mm-hmm. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in America? Yeah. Have you seen Black Mass? No. The Johnny Depp one? Mm-mm. I would think I would have picked Black Mass before I picked Gotti. <laughs> but tell me about it. What, what was it like? Um, It is fully fucking insane (laughs) so (laughs) so you know how like people always say about like uh goodfellas in particular a big criticism of goodfellas and of scorsese's movies really a couple of them at least is that uh it makes the mafia look too cool and it makes the mafia look too fun and it glamorizes this awful lifestyle that these people live sure and and goodfellas very distinctly ends you know a certain way where like he just kind of like he becomes a complete fucking disaster person. His life falls apart. Everything catches up to him. And then he snitches to avoid any sort of culpability. Right. Uh-huh. Um, Gotti is Gotti is like, if um, 
that like there's that like five minute sequence of Goodfellas where it's all from might even be from Karen's perspective this part where it's all like you know you see Henry going around doing crimes gleefully and like going back home and like the families are all hanging out together and they're all having parties and they're all having a great time and everybody's having super fun you know it's like if that was just the whole movie and they never get to the like you know the <laughs> he never bad. reaps what he sows he just keeps he just keeps uh uh reaping which one is the good one sowing or <laughs> sowing is the good one reaping yeah. is the bad one yeah so he's so just sowing yeah so he's just sowing forever yeah um <laughs> there's like one part <laughs> where like he very briefly is like you know what they say about this lifestyle you know if um uh you know, it's it's good until uh, as long as you can get away with it. And then he's like, but I stopped getting away with it. And then he goes to jail and they just like very quickly breeze past that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's so it's told in like uh, there's like four main things, uh, threads, right? There's like there's like young, youngish Gotti when you he's first gotta- kind of. You also got to fill me in a little bit on what Gotti's about because I actually don't know what Gotti is. Or sure. Who okay. He was. So, so this is kind of part of the problem of the movie is that if you don't like have the Wikipedia page of the life of John Gotti <laughs> open, uh, open, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stuff is just gonna pass you right by. Okay. Um, I had to pause it a few times to just like read what actually happened with something because it's just not super clear. But John Gotti was a he's a mafia guy, a real life mafia guy uh, from Queens. He um, he uh, is kind of like a low-level dude who eventually becomes a captain, and then he um, uh, orchestrates the murder of the boss of his own family. Uh, but everybody wow. likes that he did that because it's sort of a um, uh, it's sort of like a Carmine situation from The Sopranos, where everybody is kind of just like this guy is like fucking up the money. Like I don't like. I don't like the way he's doing things. You remember in that one season when uh, Johnny Sack wants to murder Carmine because he's just like, he's like, he's getting in the fucking way. He's too principled. We, you know, we want to make money. We don't want to be, you know, super honorable, chivalrous warriors. Was that last you know? season or? It was two seasons ago. Um, yeah. But anyway, kinda. it's it's that sort of situation where like people don't think they're making as much money under this boss as they could. Gotti kills him. And then everybody's like, sweet, well, you're the boss now. And so he becomes the boss and then he goes to jail and his son becomes the boss uh, for a while and then his son goes to jail. And um, all the while, he's like a celebrity, essentially. Like he's he's like larger than life. Everybody knows Gotti is a mob boss. Like he's in the news all the time because he goes to court and he keeps getting away with stuff. And like that's where the name Teflon Don comes from. Uh, oh, he's the, he's the he is the Teflon Don. Don. Um, and, and so like that's kind of part of the myth <laughs> of this character and whatever. And um, so the movie, uh, it's it's narrated by him. Uh, <laughs> I guess in the afterlife or something. Okay. Um, because he's like young-ish. He's like in the middle age part of the story, uh, standing in front of the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, telling the whole story, or maybe it's the Queensboro Bridge. Uh, telling you about like you know gr- New York City, greatest city in the world. I started in the gutter <laughs> and now I'm on top of the world and whatever. Sure. But then, like he also narrates his own arrest and death, so I assume that he's just telling you the story from the afterlife, which is also New York or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's hanging out on the George Washington Bridge. They um, 
yeah they they mostly just glorify what he does they treat him like the coolest guy in the world and he kind of you know seems that way there's a great scene on the fourth of july where the cops come to break up his block party and he's like he's like these people just want to celebrate their fucking country what's wrong with you and the cops are like you can't set off fireworks and he's like he like calls his friend over and he's like Hey, you got my lawyer on the phone? He's like, he's he's on the line waiting for you. He's like, you got money for bail? He's like, I got a thousand bucks cash. And he's like, let him go. And they start <laughs> shooting off the fireworks. And then the cops are like, all right, next time, Gotti. And they leave. And his friend like grabs him around the shoulder. He's like, this is your town. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just like so fantastical how much this movie just worships John Gotti. <laughs> fireworks uh, are going off in the background yeah this is your town. you win <laughs> um they uh i've heard that like the Gotti family had like like some level of you know like involvement in the scripting of it like they had sign off on everything <laughs> <laughs> um at the wow, end really? his son is you know his son is thinking about cooperating uh with an investigation so that he gets less time so he can be with his kids and Gotti like I think talks him out of it um and they like have a courtroom scene where the mother is is in the stands and she's like she's like eight different trials now you're persecuting him you come and then like <laughs> he like gets off and the the last text is like the 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 like closing text of it is like he was tried eight times and they never found anything about him <laughs> he's totally untouchable the actual actual last thing of the movie is a so you know how like in a in a biopic they'll do like a montage of like like, real real footage Uh of the person so that you see him and whatever uh instead of that they do a montage of real life footage of just like dudes around queens who were all just like you know what the city was safer when john Gotti was around (laughs) oh my god he really kept the neighborhood safe wow there's like the mafia is good actually and better than the cop they're showing footage of guys on like overpasses holding like big banners that say free Gotti. (laughs) (laughs) there's like a paint there's like a mural of like his face that just (laughs) it's it is such an insane experience um, <laughs> I'm just imagining like the end of Malcolm X when Nelson Mandela is talking to the kids. Yeah, and the, I am I'm Malcolm John X. Gotti. I'm John Gotti. <laughs> I am John Gotti. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's pretty fucking insane. The other thing is that like it is John Travolta and like nobody else. <laughs> Everybody else is like is like a first time actor. It seems like nobody is any good. His son in particular <laughs> is like absolute dog shit. Um, yeah, John Gotti Jr. Uh, so he's in Gotti. That's his most recent movie, 2018 Gotti. Uh, before that, he's in a movie called King Cobra. Did you know the guy um, from the main character from Entourage directed this movie? I did know that, yes. <laughs> and that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it does. Uh, yeah, I don't know... John Travolta is John Travolta just completely spiraling has you done anything like recently that people liked <laughs> or that seemed good Oh, the fanatic maybe 
I mean, that was a bomb, but like people, uh, some people thought it was so insane that it was good. I guess I is think he fully insane. What's going on? I, with he definitely is. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just like looking at this now before Gotti. Like, look uh, at all the movies before Gotti that are just like, what even are these? Like, look at I Am Wrath. <laughs> I guess like the taking of Pelham 123 is probably oh. like his most recent movie that anybody gave half a shit about. Yeah, that's 13, 14 years ago. Bolt. Yeah. He was Bolt and, then, and Bolt. I guess Hairspray is really the last thing that he was in that I feel like was straight up like well received. Because taking Pelham 123, I feel like was just like people liked it. It wasn't like... It was a movie, know. yeah. But I think Hairspray was the last thing he was in that people were like, holy shit. Yeah, he must have gotten JT. blacklisted somehow because these movies seem like speed kills. Well, I was going to say he really got hit with the Scientology thing when people started caring about Scientology a whole lot. But then Still, I was gonna, But though. then like, I don't know, Tom Cruise didn't. <laughs> Tom Cruise is doing fucking great, in fact. Yeah. He His must career's have probably been, like, never been better. Maybe he like was trying to come out as gay or something, and like mm. they were like, "No, no, absolutely not." We're giving John. we're <laughs> we're actually going to give you all the shitty movies. I think the thing that's fascinating about Gotti, though, from that perspective, is that he, um, like, he's probably one of the most famously like Italian American actors. At least sure. of his generation. And I'm kind of surprised that it took this long, at least as far as I know, for him to be Wait, is, straight up in the mafia in a movie. That's true. Is De Niro not an Italian-American actor? De Niro is, yeah. But he's, But, I mean, they're, they're, young, or they're older than, uh, than Travolta, aren't they? I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so. I thought De Niro's, like, younger, maybe? Because he was, like... Cause, cause, cause Travolta was like a, tw- like twenty. He was like in his twenties, and when my mom was a kid, right? Like he was in. Uh, yeah, De Niro is a full ten years older than him. Really? Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, De Niro is seventy nine. Travolta sixty nine. Sixty nine. He's um, the reason I was thinking of him as being particularly, you know. Italian American is because he was um, Vinnie Barbarello or whatever in um, Welcome Back, Cotter. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Nicholas Cage, Italian. He, I don't think he is. I think so. He's related to all those people. He's Coppola. His real oh, name he is, is Nicholas Coppola. Okay, so then yeah. And then Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. <laughs> but I, I mean, these guys aren't like. They're not like. like they're not known Italian. for being. Yeah, they're not actively. They're not active members. <laughs> Whereas Travolta, yeah, I mean, they're like, not practicing Italian. <laughs> he's Vinny Barbarino. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true. That's a that's an iconic Italian character. Mark Ruffalo, is Italian. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. You gotta anyway, you gotta act Italian. You, you gotta, gotta be Italian, from New York yeah. or Jersey or something. <laughs> yeah, you have to be from the tri-state area, <laughs> <laughs> or else it doesn't count. <laughs> I feel like that's what you mean. <laughs> that is kind of what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> at least a little bit. Um, well, what what did you watch this week? This week I watched a the only other movie directed by Saul Bass, and the only movie I think ever directed by Elaine Bass, uh, Quest. 
It is a movie from 1984. It is only 30 minutes long. Um, but Saul Bass, I don't know if you know anything about Saul Bass. He uh, is famous for his like movie posters and title sequences. Mm. He, he designed like the the title sequences for Psycho and Vertigo and North by Northwest. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, so sick the, stuff. All the coolest stuff, you know. He he did the title sequence for Man with the Golden Golden Arm. Um, there's there's so many. He was like all the cool posters from like sixties and seventies, Spartacus, um, anything that's sort of flat and interesting looking from that time period was like mostly him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, wanted to, it seems he also worked closely with his wife, uh, Elaine Bass. Um, and then they did title sequences. I guess he like sort of fell out of it in the seventies, I think. And then in the eighties, Scorsese was like, you got to do all my title sequences. So he did Goodfellas, he did Casino, he did all kinds of cool stuff. Um, he uh and then like you know he's just very inspiring he only directed one feature and it was called phase four it's a sci-fi movie uh, about ants um huge flop in 1974 um bad you know people hated it um i think it's kind of interesting um i've seen it a couple times I get why people didn't like it. It's very boring (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, because he's very visual, you know, Um, he's a visual type guy. Um, They're visual type artists. And uh, so the only thing I'd never seen that he did was called quest. And someone was posting about it on uh, Twitter this week. And I was like, I'll watch that. Um, It is a, I guess it's a short film. It's not a feature. Um, it's only 30 minutes long. The It moves really quickly because the premise of the movie is there's this like group of people who like crash landed on a planet and have been like trying to stay alive because for some reason on the planet, they only live eight days. Mm-hmm. They like age extremely quickly, but they can like have babies quickly too it just happens like instantly um so you're not really this you're just sort of thrown in a baby's born and they're like we got to send the baby to help (laughs) and they just start they're like train the baby now this is the good choice and then they start like training the baby in the next scene he's older um Mm -hmm. and he's like a a kid baby uh and they're like teaching him math and language and it's like all right end of day one you're ready you're gonna go they explain to him like what's going on like you need to open the gate and let the light in and then you know we won't all we won't be in this terrible fate um so he's like i don't know if i'm ready and they're like well too bad (laughs) and they send him on his way um and then the quest is to go out into the world and just they don't really know past a certain point because they have they can't go very far um all they know is you got to go out there try to find the thing that's going to open the gate that's the i guess prophecy or whatever and so he does um and that's the movie really um what's remarkable about it is that it looks so sick 
Um, (laughs) It's, it's not a very complicated metaphor. Um, I think I, 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 I haven't really thought too much about what he's trying to say besides it. It just feels like a movie that's about, I don't know, appreciating the time you have on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some really weird stuff in it that like are almost like Kubrick style metaphors that I'm not really sure I get. Like he gets to this like pure, he gets, um, he gets to this like place where he meets one of the other kids they sent and he's like an old man and he's like, Oh good. They sent another one. I was too old. Mm -hmm. Um, he's just like in like a hood, you know, in his, he has like all of the same stuff, but he's just like, it's all the way over there and I fucked up and I can't, I'm, I'm too old to like do what I had to do. Uh, but you can go, you just got to go to the top of the pyramid and like, you're looking at like this, like (laughs) a planet where like the planets are like, it's like a, it's like a whole solar system above them where like the planets are like consistently aligning and there's this huge pyramid. It looks like a fucking yes album. It's amazing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like watching it now on mute. It's fucking wild. It's crazy looking and like the color palette is so amazing. It's all brown and like bright blue. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah. And so he like meets this guy and he's like, yeah, you gotta do it. You can go go to the pyramid and do the things you were trying to do. And then he goes to the pyramid and then there's like a big monkey guy. He's like a he's like a Jim Henson Neanderthal. How big? At, like not like him him size, like nine like seven feet tall oh, okay. or whatever. Broly big. Like, we're not t- <laughs> I was gonna say, is it like Ozaru big? Is it like No no no? It, it's when not, like when Vegeta turns into the giant ape. No, he's not a King Kong. He's a he's just like a a big Neanderthal and he's like, play this chess game with me. And like, they start playing this like Tron style, like silver pieces chess board thing. And then he wins and the monkey gets mad. And then so like little pieces of the quest. <laughs> My favorite, the part that I found the funniest was he like, he, there's this big, like shiny silver cube that he runs into and It's like a mirror. And he like looks at himself and he says, he like, he touches his own face and he's like, I'm getting old because <laughs> uh, he's an adult now. There's one really cool part where he like is dodging all these like falling like uh, ruins and uh, like the camera turns and it's a, it's just he's gotten a little older. Like it's a different mm-hmm. actor. Um, and then it's like day three. Um, so it's just like really quickly moving, just like race against time to get to this gate. Um uh. And then it's this kinda, looks so fucking cool. <laughs> it's really hard to explain if you haven't seen anything. Yeah, I wouldn't um, call this guy an ape, by the way. I think this I is know, more like, I'd call him like early man. Yeah, yeah. I said Neanderthal. I don't know. He's like a, some kind of ape guy. Uh, early man. There's. This is funny. I, um, when I was in college, my roommate went to New York Film Academy and his okay. um, his student film for his whatever, you know, graduating thing his like final project was a short film that um i don't know did you live in new york when um uh goodbye blue monday was still there oh yeah um so you remember how they had that whole wall of just like books and records and stuff Uh uh-huh um so we filmed it there and it was um 
it was like a scientist who was like trying to invent time travel, but by mistake made a machine that sends him to this sort of like weird dimension, uh, that it's just like a library. And that was filmed (laughs) at, at blue Monday. And it was like, um, there was an ape there, uh, that Mm -hmm. he had to play chess with. And if he won the chess game, then he got to go back to his normal world. Oh, weird. I wonder if that's a, a reference or, or like a, I don't think uh, it's so, like a long but who thing. Knows? I don't know. Uh, sort of similar type of thing. By the way, this movie is written by Ray Badbury, uh, famous uh, Fahrenheit yeah. 451 guy. 451. Uh, <laughs> You're going to say 9-11. 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not um, that guy, different guy. And he wrote it for this specifically, or was it a short story that got no, adapted? Yeah. Or They were like bros, I guess. He, uh, he They were friends, and he, he wrote it for this. Um, I think it's one of the last things he ever wrote. Um, but it's um, I guess it's an adaptation of his his thing, Frost and Fire. Mm. Um, his short story. You know Ray uh, Bradbury. He wrote Bowling for Columbine. <laughs> <laughs> big big fan. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a really it's it's hard to describe. It's just the. The color palette is incredible. Saul Bass, if you, it's hard to because it's not. It doesn't look like his his credit sequences. It looks like sci-fi Yodorowsky. Like it looks really sharp, angular. I I I just you gotta watch it. It's thirty minutes long. Just watch it. It's really cool. It it um it has a couple of bad reviews from like complete morons on IMDb. <laughs> like what is going on? They don't explain anything. Why, why am I supposed to care about this guy who's getting old? It's like, shut up. <laughs> uh, even if you don't like, I, I would say it's not like the most like artistic, you know, it's not high. Mi- it, it doesn't really need to be. It's just this really awesome looking thing. Um, it's got cool practical effects. It's got miniatures. A lot of it is miniatures and and uh, it's like small sets and green screen, really early green screen because it's 1984. Um, and then it has this really kind of beautiful uh, ending of just like, you know, I, I mean, it's 30 minutes long. I'm gonna spoil it. It's also from 1984. Uh, <laughs> it's at the end. He gets he gets to the gate and then like there's this moment that I really, I really loved the ending where it's just like the people who sent him, like some of the people who are like still there are like older now. And there's like a thing in the beginning where their hearts like are going really fast. Cause they're like mm. their metabolism and shit is like all sped up. And like the, like the whole, this, th- this place that you spent the whole first part of the movie and like starts being flooded with like yellow light and the whole color palette of the place changes and everything's green and yellow now rather than like blue and brown and then like you hear like the sounds of their hearts like slowing down and like becoming more normal so they're gonna live and he's just like what day will be the best day of the rest of my life you know like they're just like really excited to live more and it's like really beautiful and then it's over um so it's just super cool nice little treat um give Saul and Elaine Bass a little watch uh, <laughs> so that's what I watched this week. I recommend it. Nice. Um, let's move on to our feature presentation. <laughs> uh, 
Louis Letier. Oh, I just realized that's probably French. Louis Letier. Uh, his movie from 2013. The 2013 American Heist film. Now You See Me. <laughs> uh, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Isla Fisher, Morgan Freeman, and Woody Harrelson. Oh, and also Michael Caine and Common and Dave Franco. So many yeah, people are in Melody this movie. Laurent. I don't... Oh, that's the... Uh, the she's Shoshana the inter- in... Interpol. Um, yeah. And she's Shoshana in um, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, that woman. Oh, she did look a little familiar. Um, that's cool. Okay, so this movie is Louis Leterreur, uh, his like third or fourth, no, fifth movie after he directed uh, the Marvel Incredible Hulk, Clash of the Titans, um, Transporter 2. F- is that the first one with... Um... That's not the Ang Lee Hulk. It's the It's the... Uh, Edward Norton one. Oh, it's not the, and it's also not the um, Mark Ruffalo Hulk. No, there is actually isn't a Mark Ruffalo Hulk. Uh, oh, right. He's only in the Avengers. He's only in the Avengers. Hilarious. I, I feel like the Hulk is pretty cool, but I feel like he's hard to make a movie around. But they fixed that in the third Avengers where they're just like, he's just Mark Ruffalo, but green now. <laughs> he's normal. Whatever. Uh, and, and he- <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Uh, yeah exactly uh so it doesn't matter um so he he was a director for hire and some ed solomon wrote this ed solomon uh wrote bill and ted's excellent adventure men in black uh some fun movie he he wrote the original super mario brothers hell yes king (laughs) and then he was like what if there was a magic team that did heists (laughs) Honestly, pretty cool logline. Yeah, I'm going to um, say, like, just right off the bat, like, the premise of this movie rocks. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff working in this movie's favor. And it's like, it is, <laughs> yeah. like, in some ways, I would say that it is, like, kind of maybe a miracle that this movie sucks as bad as it does. <laughs> like you had to really try pretty fucking hard to take this really cool premise and really great cast of like fun, really well-defined little characters and stuff. And, uh-huh. and, and, and like a lot of stuff works in this movie and they just had to have like really tried to just be like, the story has to suck, right? It has to, it, we have to just like not write it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say, uh, since we're sort of starting with our, our feelings about it, uh, I'm going to say this movie went down really easy for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, uh, it is bad. Yeah. It's a stupid movie, but it feels it's in the, uh, it's in the, TNT on a Sunday afternoon like yeah sure mm-hmm. I'll watch this kind of thing <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> uh, where it's just like you're never like so annoyed by it that you want to turn it off right. but it's just like wow that's the choice they made yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yep <laughs> exactly you're exactly right there's nothing about this movie that makes me want to turn it off and I had fun the whole time yeah but like basically every time you probe I mean it's if you, you think know, about Eisenberg it for a even, second. <laughs> yeah, Eisenberg even says it in the movie where he says, like, the closer you look, the further away from it you are. Right. You know, and it's like every time you try to inspect any part of this movie, actually, try to make any sense of it, 
whatever i you know paraphrase yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, anytime you try to inspect any part of this and try to make any sense it of it you're like cloudy no <laughs> what <laughs> it becomes insanely strange and uh, although you know for how stupid it is and i mean for me the big okay <laughs> let's 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 quickly run down what the movie is it is for independent very talented magicians who all uh have their own sort of they have their own little or- careers they have their own little lives uh jesse eisenberg is sort of a like a chris angel-esque like uh yeah like he's a street magician but it's like a big budget street magician and he's like he does like David big Blaine. Yeah, 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 he does like big shows that are like out on the street though, so it's raw, and you know, like uh-huh. people come and see it, but it's like a big spectacle show. Uh, he gets pussy somehow, but also turns it down because he's Jesse Eisenberg. Because he's Jesse Eisenberg, his and it would hurt his brand. I thought, <laughs> I thought would work less, but like the more Jesse Eisenberg, it's like, oh yeah, that is what magicians are—huge nerds. Yes, uh, and Jesse I think Eisenberg is extremely believable in this he's role. Well, he's well cast as an asshole who thinks he's cool, even mm-hmm. though he's a huge nerd. And then Isla Fisher is uh, his ex-assistant who has sort of made her own name for herself, but playing significantly smaller shows, but no less impressive. Yeah, she's more of a... a um, it's funny, they all have like little specialties as magicians, and then like it has Except for her. nothing to do with how the heist works. <laughs> you, like, That's you think true. They're setting it all up as like, you know, Eisenberg is like the big showman, and, and she is like the escape artist, you know? Right, and, yes. And, um, and then uh, Woody Harrelson is the mentalist, and, and which is and then, um, which they fully are just like he has psychic powers and anything that <laughs> <laughs> anything any plot hole is like covered up with he hypnotized them like yep. immediately in seconds uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and then uh, james franco's brother is in this as well and he's like a thief <laughs> yeah he's a very good pickpocket he's a what is it? who isn't that matt damon's character in oceans 12 he's like mm-hmm. a really good pickpocket uh yeah. he's that guy he's the matt damon of the movie yeah. yes and he's and, really well cast like this guy mm-hmm. seems like a kid who is out of his depths like every every time he's in the shots with the team he seems like oh what do i do guys like and he he's really believable to me as like a, a young kid. I think they're all really good. I think all four of them are pretty good. Isla Fisher is probably the weakest of the four, but even she is pretty all right. Like she yes. unfortunately she just doesn't really have much of a character outside of being like the girl a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's the screenplay's problem and she's yeah, it's just not like, her problem. She's doing as much as she can with it. Right. Everyone does a great time. So anyway, they all get I they ca- all find a tarot card and they all are just like, I have to go. <laughs> it's I a tarot guess. card with like a date written on the back and a I time think the and a place. The implication is that they know what the eye is. Yeah. They've heard of it and they're like, all right, I'll check it out. I'll go check it out. They go, they break into this apartment. It is the eye. Uh, we don't even find that out till later. Mm-hmm. Um, but a year passes and then they're, they're, they're up to something. And, So a year passes and they're in Vegas and they have a gigantic crazy show. Right. And we we are sort of like, I think this is where they make their first mistake, which is the screenplay, by the way. They make their first mistake of 
making us not see the rest of the movie through their eyes. Mm-hmm. We are with them almost none of the time. And the idea I think here is that you're supposed to be the audience and they're the magicians and then you're following Mark Ruffalo. But Mark Ruffalo turns out also is a magician, but also completely unlikable and in every way. Yeah. He's the worst uh, character he is in this movie. So annoying. <laughs> he's always doing fucking Joss Whedon, you know, like, well, uh-huh. that happened yeah. <laughs> sort of shit. Yeah. And he's just like, he's aggrieved to be doing his job or yeah. ha- like, he, I don't know why they wrote him as like Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. He's just like a regular FBI guy who's supposed to be keeping his head down. Cause like mm-hmm. the twist at the end of the movie is that he secretly be joined the FBI just to pull off this movie. Um, <laughs> like 20 years ago or whatever. <laughs> um, and and so he he shouldn't be acting this way, but he's like this hothead cop. Yeah, he needs to act that way to make in, the movie work. <laughs> I guess, but it like is so off-putting, and he doesn't really sell it very well because he's Mark yeah. Ruffalo, and he's just like a drunk asshole all the time. And mm-hmm. then they try to force in two different romantic subplots, which are just like all of the sudden a girl is attracted to him. Uh, and then also Isla Fisher is just like, I'll hold Jesse Eisenberg hands, who has like been nothing but shitty to her the whole yeah. movie. Uh, shocking. So Those- basically the premise is that they, the, the four of them have a big magic show where the grand finale is that they use magic to rob a bank that's like halfway around the world. The FBI right. is trying to figure out how they do it. The best sequence of the entire movie by far is when they are being questioned by the FBI and you get a great sequence of Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg just being huge assholes to the FBI (laughs) and like in the funniest, like most charming way possible. Like Mm -hmm. Eisenberg like slips the fucking handcuffs onto Ruffalo. Like uh, Woody Harrelson is just like, like just like reading them, just like you have daddy issues. You're a fucking dumb bitch. Uh, the, the, that scene's great. Um, and of course they get away because they're like, what are you going to charge us with? Yeah, Eisenberg Magic has like the best... Real? Yeah, I was going to say, Eisenberg has the best line of the movie where he's like, if you wanted to charge us, you'd have to, at an institutional level, admit that magic is real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they're let out and continue on their plan. And so they do another show uh, where, you know, they end up... You think that Michael Caine is their... Uh, what do you call it? He's their benefactor. He benefactor. is, he is, is the, the thing. He oh, yeah, is he their is. benefactor. And then he stops being their benefactor after this show. Here's f- the first one that doesn't make any sense is how does Ruffalo get Michael Caine into this? There's no explanation of why Michael Caine is financing this endeavor. <laughs> yes, he just shows up and is like, I'm giving you millions of dollars. We're a year later. We're a year later and don't he's have financing them. We don't have an answer. So as the movie's leading you to believe like Michael Caine is the guy in the hood who who cast them all. Yeah. Um, and then there's no explanation for, for how Ruffalo, you know, all those years ago planning his revenge or whatever, like roped Michael Caine into all this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't know exactly how that's supposed to work. And then uh, Morgan Freeman is, uh, 
a guy oh, who he's a, he's a magic's biggest secrets finally revealed guy. <laughs> yeah, he's been making DVDs of <laughs> <laughs> of how people do their biggest secrets, uh, yeah. their biggest tricks, and uh, we this whole time we keep hearing about Lionel Shrike, who was a famous musician who did amazing stuff. Magician. Is that what I said? He said musician. Magician who uh, did amazing stuff and then um, supposedly died in a safe, uh, in, a, yes. in, a, so, in a water well, safe so, accident. Okay, so so uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, he makes these DVDs about Magic's Biggest Secrets, finally revealed, and um, he made, he was like going after Lionel and... Um, it's the first one he made. He was it's like, the first one he made. He like exposed every single thing in his act, and so Lionel became erratic, trying to, you know, figure out something that Morgan Freeman couldn't debunk, and uh, he decided to get into a safe and get dropped to the bottom of the East River, uh, and then it was like a faulty safe or something like I, that, and the, he just drowned what in Mark there. Mark Ruffalo says at the end, he's like, "Yeah, they." They cut corners on their safes. They just made bad <laughs> safes. And so they deserve to be punished. I don't what the fuck. No one said that you should drop safes into the ocean. Yeah. That's not like what safes are for. I, how is it faulty? Like, yeah, I ran it over with my car and it broke. <laughs> like, I don't bullshit safe. It's <laughs> really weird. Uh, there's a couple things like that where it's just like, if you just thought a little bit more about it, like, there would be things that would weren't be so silly. Here's the thing is the problem is that this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too at the end. Right. Uh Is that like this movie either needed to be the eye is real and Mark Ruffalo is actually a magician who's a part of the eye or, you know, Lionel, what is his last name? Shrike. Shrike. Uh Lionel Shrike really did die. And Mark Ruffalo is his son getting revenge. It needed to be one or the other. Right. It's both. And it's both. And that doesn't make any sense because why is Mark Ruffalo part of the eye? He's not a magician. He's just a kid who became an FBI agent to get revenge. Oh, yeah. They don't really actually ever say he's a magician. He doesn't know anything about magic. But he apparently does. But the whole thing is a magic trick, I guess, is getting the four of them to do the whole thing is a magic trick in some ways. (laughs) I mean, but that's that's his whole thing is that he like, I'm going to it's sort of similar to a better movie. I think a better movie. I I really liked it when I was younger. uh, The Prestige, where it's like, you know, Christian Bale has been like fucking up his entire life just to like be a really good musician, magician and and do this one really good trick. I think the idea is that he's like he's been dedicating his whole life to this one really good trick. But in that movie, it makes sense because it's not it's not so insane, and so only he's involved. <laughs> like in this movie, he joins the FBI so that he can like bend the law to allow people to get away with stuff, uh, which is a is an insane thing to try and do mm-hmm. um instead of just having a twin <laughs> and hiding that fact from people um so uh, yeah i think i think that the eye is a is a concept that doesn't need to exist yes or i don't know i kind of actually i think that if you like why do they even want to join the eye? Yeah, what you needed to you needed to to front load that a lot more. I kind of think that if you wanted to make a franchise out of this, which it they did, makes sense. 
I know they they made a now now you see me too, which was and, supposedly um, written as now you don't, and the uh, the studio refused to let it be called that. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no one will know what that means. I thought you were going to say that me too happened, and so they were like, we want to like <laughs> we're going to get some some cheap clout off of this one <laughs> how you see me too <laughs> <laughs> no that is not what they thought well actually i have no idea but the marketing people said no to now you don't which i think would be a much better title um but uh but yeah i actually i mean i think that the thing is the eye actually works better than the revenge plot i think a- Really, I think the yeah. Lionel Shrike thing shouldn't have been in this. That shit was stupid. It didn't make sense. It it made too many things need to need to be made sense of. If you just got rid of that and you just said, actually, Mark Ruffalo is the greatest magician who ever lived. He's the king of the eye. And this was all a recruiting mission to see if these guys actually had the juice. You know, that makes everything way easier to stomach than right you don't he's really just need doing a revenge plot i mean i guess the idea is that you want morgan freeman to as a red herring you want morgan freeman and you want uh fucking michael kane as a as a red herring mm-hmm. um and then you need i guess the screen screenwriting cons conceit is you need a reason for mark ruffalo to want to do this and i think that's not true you I don't you need do, a reason. You do, but it's I just think that being you being in the eye. Well, this is the thing is like so he's the king of the eye and um and and at the end I even thought this cuz I just forgot about Lionel Shrike for a little bit because I was like who cares? This is stupid. Right. Um, I'm not paying attention to that. Um so when there's that scene where where Morgan Freeman's in the jail and uh and uh, Mark Ruffalo is like Oh, you see that? You're finally putting it together. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be like, I'm the king of the eye, and this is all about you exposing magician's secrets, you piece of shit. And yeah. actually, this all was this whole thing, this whole big scheme was actually all just to stitch you up, you piece of garbage. I yeah. hope you fucking rot. <laughs> you know, magician's secrets are for us. Then it could be like a, then it could be like a even cornier John Wick. Uh-huh. Or it'd be like, <laughs> or it'd be like all the magicians have like a secret society where they yes. really do not allow you to tell secrets. This is what I was hoping it was. Yes, right. that's how I was hoping it ended. And I guess it could still be that. It's just we didn't really get that because they're too. They want to be clever with the. My dad was Lionel Shrike, and that's not really that interesting. Too stupid. I did. <laughs> Simply too stupid. It's too stupid. Um. Yeah, and I just feel like. Okay, so then they have um, they have a, a, another show where they give all the Katrina victims uh, Michael Caine's money. Yeah, and then we get a long uh, action sequence featuring Dave Franco, mm-hmm. um, where they find their hideout, and then they have a pretty cool fight scene. I thought cool fight scene, cool chase scene. Nice stuff happening there. I like all that. It's entertaining. I thought they they really sold that uh, as as best as they could. Uh, it's got a very like two thousands vibe, but mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah, um, works for me. I was really I didn't buy that he was dead in the car for a second. Mm, of course like, not. No, because he like very clearly purposefully drives into the K rail and flips the car. And I'm like, that's the plan. And, and, and and then nobody talks about it afterwards. There's no, there's not even, not even, 
not just no like mourning. There's no like, oh my God, he died. There's nothing like that. There's not even an acknowledgement <laughs> that anything <laughs> happened to him. <laughs> well, I guess the implication is that the YouTube video they show where it's the three of them talking on YouTube mm. and they say like, we're still going to do the show is that this, that video is about being like, Dave is dead, but like, they don't really say that. Yeah. Um, so that's confusing. And then, um, and then their, their third show kind of sucks. It, it just looks they like don't... it's directed by Banksy. <laughs> and then they don't do anything. They don't even do a trick. They right. don't show like the, you know the trick happens but it's it's only a trick on the fbi like there's no actual like the audience who shows up to five points by the way happy to see five points get immortalized on film good That's new nice. york movie honestly there's a lot of good new york there's stuff some good in new this. york i was like damn new york is still cool i don't know <laughs> and i like that there's um i like that there's a lot of locations you know i like that like we see a real good, location. We see, we see some good Chicago. We see some good New Orleans. We see some good Vegas. That I French, like all that stuff. The lock, the lock bridge is really in France. Mm. Um, yeah, good location movie. Um, but yeah, the five points one is like I, the first one is so cool because it's a real Vegas show. They do big Vegas type stuff. They explain the way they do the did the trick. Mm-hmm. You know how they implanted the people with the ping pong ball. It's all it all works for me. The second one is like they just stand on stage and like you know you see the cool bubble stuff, but it doesn't really have anything to do with anything except for yeah. the rabbit thing, which is just like explaining a later trick. Well, it's funny. It just it at least like the second show at least answers a question that I had about the first show, which was like in the first show it seems from the way they film it that they only do the one trick and then they fuck off. You right. know, I was like, because like from the beginning of the trick to the end, they seem like they're introing themselves on stage and then, you know, outroing <laughs> themselves. And you're yeah. like, so, so all these people just show up to the Vegas show and they just do one trick. Um, and then it, at least in the New Orleans show, you can see them, you know, um, they do the rest of the show and then they're like, okay, and by the way, here's our grand finale. We're stealing Michael Caine's money <laughs> and yeah. there's no, there's no visual components or anything. Just go ahead and just look at your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they like cut to like them all having smartphones with like <laughs> numbers, just like scrolling. Like, also, like, by <laughs> the way, I fucking love the idea that Michael Caine is like some globe trotting billionaire and he keeps all of his money in what a fucking checking account <laughs> that you have online access to like that. They're just like, Oh yeah, we, we mentalisted your fucking mother's maiden name and your pets. <laughs> You know how billionaires keep their money? <laughs> In their Chase checking account? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is like, it's not a billion dollars. It's like a hundred million dollars or something. So maybe what he would keep. But no, it's very silly. Um, and uh, then the third one, the high points one, it was very disappointing because they're just like, we're here. Here's yeah. fake money. And then they throw fake money into the crowd and then leave. Yeah, they jump um, off the side of the building and turn into like little, you know, cubes or whatever. And then right. they, they run. And then the, the, that whole scene is more of a Mark Ruffalo. You're getting, you know, getting more of Mark Ruffalo being a dickhead to, <laughs> to his French girl and then Common being uh, hypnotized. And the, the whole safe <laughs> thing is more of the, like, the way they set up the safe and the trick on the FBI is more of the actual scene, which is like they have this great concept and it feels like they 
they could really only think of like one thing or like two things. Yeah, it really feels like the bank job at the beginning, like the first one is like the only one of these that I'm just like, oh, wow, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the heist. And I guess this third one with the with the double, you know, the double fake no, that's out cool and whatever. Too. That's yeah. pretty cool. And I love the visual of Morgan Freeman's car when he like unlocks it and it just like explodes with money. <laughs> yeah. Also the safe when it, they open it and it has all the scarves and balloon animals mm-hmm. in there. That's good too. I, this is the thing. There's such fun ideas in this movie. It's just disappointing when it kind of doesn't add up to much more than like a series of cool things mixed with a series of really stupid interactions between characters. Yeah. Um, a lot of the dialogue is just like paint by numbers. Like, well, what do you think about that? Like just getting, yeah, one they even over. do like a, like a, this is my investigation now. <laughs> oh my God. The cop stuff is like from a different movie, <laughs> like a, like a straight to DVD movie. And yeah. then like the magician stuff is good. Unfortunately, you don't get to see their, point of view you it's not oceans 11 this is what i was mm-hmm. saying at the beginning is that it's not oceans 11 where you get to see them planning stuff yeah. which i would i want to sp- i wanted to spend more time in in the apartment and like okay yeah i show- think truly the sickest version of this movie would have been if they cut absolutely everything from it and like instead it's like the end of the movie is they rob the bank and the whole movie <laughs> is them figuring out the magic trick where they rob the bank right that would and, be a fucking awesome movie get rid and, of morgan freeman get rid of mark ruffalo i don't care about them i don't care about what's happening with them mm-hmm. i just want to see the four magicians just working it out practicing you know doing different you know iterations of it right and it's okay to skip ahead to show us the trick before you explain it. That's fine. I, 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 I feel okay with that. But like, you don't need this cop researcher. I wouldn't even mind it if it wasn't so stupid. Like if his character <laughs> wasn't so bad. And, and it's, it's really just that he's like an angry, gruff, like detective rather than like an FBI agent. Like if he was... You know what they should do? They should have completely cut, like they should have recast Mark Ruffalo with the guy who's his superior, like the mm. stuffy like nerd who's like taking notes and is just like, okay, I'm going by the book and researching this thing. That's very interesting that they did that. And then when his like heel turn, his like Kaiser Soze turn, where he's like, I'm actually a magi- magician, like would have made sense because he's like doing this other performance. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's there's a lot of ways you could have fixed it. Um, the way they have it is, it's just, it's a it little frustrating. It, it's just a little frustrating <laughs> that it's it could have been such a fun movie, and I think it's like a fun movie despite how bad it is. Yes, yeah, that's that's kind of where I land on it. Is it's like, like I said at the beginning, it's like it is almost an accomplishment how it ends up sucking because it has yeah. uh-huh. so much shit working in its favor, and for those reasons, I do feel like. In the end, what I would say is I do recommend this. I do too. I would 100% recommend watching this. I think it's, it's fun. I think it's kind of dog shit. I, I think like in the end, you're going to leave it being like, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think a lot of the greatest things in life are like that, you know? Sure. Lots of <laughs> lots of great things. I've had a lot like of that. really great times where I felt awesome for two hours and then afterwards said like, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, uh, the one thing that this movie now made me... Now you see me, me too. 
now what are you implying? Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that's really interesting about this movie is that it made me kind of realize that heist movies are fun because they're magic tricks. Like it's such an obvious thing, but I was like, Oh, all heist movies are kind of magic trick movies. Like the whole point is that you're doing a con. It's fun because you didn't know how they did it. And then they explain it to you. Um, Ocean's 11 is very fun for that reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any sort of like competence, uh, porn type movies <laughs> where it's just like oh they they set it all up and then knock them out the sting you know like i think it's all kind of just a like showing you the trick um and i liked that they were like what if it's really just they're actually magicians the premise is so good and they they do succeed in delivering on the premise a couple times and i think it's a lot of fun Except for all the times it isn't. So yeah. I also uh-huh. recommend it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that's uh, that's number two. Thanks, Dark Council, for le- having us watch this fun dog shit movie. <laughs> it, it's it, 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 it on the bonus episode. Someone asked us about like best four out of tens. <laughs> I feel like this is this is that. It's a it's like a four, but it's yeah definitely a heart emoji on letterbox <laughs> yeah um, it's a hard r4 it's a- <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right thanks so much for listening to generation loss the show about movies uh, if you'd like to hear more of our show about movies you can go to patreon.com patreon.com slash generation loss where you can join the sopranos tier and void vote on which tv show we're going to watch after the sopranos on the bonus episodes you can join the dark council which is a shadowy group of figures who decide what we're going to watch on the regular episodes um you can get discord access where we hang out and talk about all kinds of stuff um you can email us at uh, generationlosspod at gmail.com you can f- and ask us questions for the bonus uh, you can follow us on twitter at genlosspod uh, follow us individually from there and until next time that's movies cold late night so long ago when I was not so strong you know when man came to me never seen I so blue you know I could not run away it seemed we'd seen each other in a dream seemed like he Smile.